Part three, chapter seven of the Power of a Lie by Johann Boyer, translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. One Saturday afternoon, Thora of Liderende went out towards the Sound. It was in haymaking time, and the mowers were on the hills, making the hay into cocks for the evening. The fresh scent of hay was wafted through the air. Lake Musen lay still and clear, so that Fru Thora could see the stony bottom a long way out. She turned up the avenue to the big parish school building, entered the yard, and hastened up the steps, for there were others she must manage to call on to-day. Although the principal was occupied for the time being with some pupils in dialect, his wife went and fetched him when she heard that Fru Thora had come on an important errand, and soon they were all three sitting round a table in the large comfortable drawing-room, with port wine in front of them. Principal Hagen was a man of about fifty years of age, with a bald head, a long brown beard, and spectacles. He had a fine high forehead, and nice eyes. He was well known for his kind disposition, and as he was most unsuspecting, he loved many things. As regarded religion, he was a warm advocate of a national Christianity. "'Yes, I've come on an important errand to-day,' said Fru Thora, sipping her glass. Both the schoolmaster and his wife looked attentively at her. She continued with a smile as she looked from one to the other. "'It's in connection with recent events. It has been a sad time, and a disgrace to the district.' "'Yes,' said Fru Hagen, shaking her head as she knitted. "'But we who sit here have got off fairly well. I only got sneered at a little in the papers because I was rude enough to wish to take one of their children for a time. And you, Hagen, have been found fault with because you remained neutral.' Fru Thora could not help laughing. "'Poor man,' said the schoolmaster, playing with his beard. "'Yes, it's hard on him, and we won't judge, Wangen,' said she, "'but as long as we live in an orderly community, I suppose we have the right to some protection, and it doesn't do to go on as Wangen has done.' Fru Hagen shook her head once more, said, No, and looked at her husband. "'But the person who has suffered most during this time, dear friends, is Norby, and I've come to propose that we make him some reparation in one form or another. Hagen rose and left the table in order to fill himself a pipe, which he slowly lighted, and then returned to the table and seated himself. Out of doors the sun was beginning to set, and sent golden beams into them through the tree-tops in the garden. "'Well, what do you think of doing?' Hagen finally asked, while he endeavoured to make his pipe draw. Fru Thora coloured a little. She had expected that she would meet with opposition here, so she had come here first. She braced herself and continued courageously. "'Well, we see what our great politicians, for instance, do when one of their number has been exposed to unjust attacks. They give him a banquet, and I think we might give a little festive entertainment for Norby. It might be as simple as possible.' Hagen and his wife looked at one another. "'Yes,' said he, but with a slightly embarrassed smile. There was a short pause, which Fru Thora dared not allow to become too long. "'With reference to the heart of the matter,' she said, "'you too believe, do you not, that Norby was altogether in the right?' 
Yes, said Hagen, shaking his head a little. There seemed to be something he would not say. Yes, said Fru Hagen, too. He said from the very first that Wangen was guilty, and Hagen has a wonderful power of judgment in such cases. Well, then, said Fru Thora, I hope you won't let old disagreements stand in the way this time. We ought really to begin to appreciate the worth of others than those we always agree with. "'Oh, dear, yes,' said Hagen eagerly. "'But who did you think of asking to join?' Fru Thora laid a pretty hand upon the table, as if to give more emphasis to her words. "'All who wish to. The authorities, peasants, all without difference. Wouldn't it be nice if government officers and country people for once joined hands and said, "'One of our best men has been persecuted, and his name sullied, here we are, and we will join hands and wash him clean again. An example should really be set to show that Christianity and national feeling are not just words, but that we actually help a brother when he is in need." "'Has Norby taken it to heart?' asked Hagen, with a look of sympathy. "'I don't know. He is so proud, that man. He certainly doesn't complain. But now, to-day, my brother in Bergen wrote to me and asked if it were really true that Norby had defrauded the widow for whom he's trustee. That's the way ill-natured remarks spread, and how much wouldn't a man lose by such things?" "'Oh, yes,' sighed Fru Hagen. "'There's always someone ready to repeat an ill-natured thing. And there's one thing we must be all agreed about,' continued Fru Thora and that is that a better head of a family and master than Norby is not to be found in the district. Where would you find anyone so good to his old servants and men?" The schoolmaster thought it over, and the warm appreciation of Norby's goodness to his farm servants touched him and overcame his last scruples. "'Well, I'm willing to join,' he said. "'But who is to make the speech?' he thought to himself. "'Yes,' said Fru Thora, taking another sip of wine. "'But you aren't going to be let off so easily. You will have to make the speech. No one can do it so well.' "'I,' said Hagen, his brow flushing. But he finally agreed. If a few words were to be said in honour of Fru Norby, perhaps Fru Thora of Liderende might attempt them. When she left, she felt relieved and happy at having succeeded here. Now the rest would be easily managed, and she hastened down the avenue as briskly as a young girl, while the last rays of the sun fell through the leaves upon her light dress. With no suspicion of Fru Thora's plan, Knut Norby was sitting that day, hard at work with his accounts. He had at last fallen again into his old ways. He had wasted so much time on all that nonsense with Wangen that there must be an end of this he must set to work and make up for what he had lost. His hair had grown a little greyer during the last few months, and he was pale and tired. It had been rather trying, the way things had gone on. When he had finished, and gone out on to the steps with his pipe in his mouth, Ingeborg came up to him, and told him, with tears in her eyes, that the old dairymaid was dead. Norby put his pipe in his waistcoat pocket, and went across with her to the little cottage. The two old farm men were sitting by the bed in the little room, looking straight before them, with their large coarse hands folded between their knees. The eyes of the one who had been engaged over and over again to the dairymaid were wet. 
Norby, too, stood and looked at the old dead servant with trembling lips. That afternoon he went up over the hills to the little cottage where Lars Kleven's widow sat sorrowful. When he entered he had to stoop under the ceiling. The old woman was sitting by her spinning-wheel. She rose in alarm, thinking, "'He's come to take the cottage from me, after all.' "'How are you?' asked Norby, sitting down with his stick between his knees. "'Thank God, I can't complain of my health,' she said timidly, "'but I'm dreading the winter.' "'Well, the dairymaid's leaving us now,' said the old man, "'and her little room will be empty. If you can be satisfied with it, you can move into it for the rest of your days. I think they clean it to-day, so it'll be ready to-morrow. And your cow and fowls, yes, you can bring them with you. There's room enough." The old woman folded her hands and gazed at him in amazement for a little while, before she sank down and burst into tears. But at that Norby left. He did not like tears. As he trudged homewards, he had no feeling of having done anything good. He had only moved a thing into its proper place. It is true her husband had let himself be tempted by Wangen and his people, but he, poor fellow, lay in his grave now, and there was nothing more to be said about that. On the hill he sat down and looked out over the valley, which lay bathed in the last gleams of sunshine, with long blue shadows over the lake. He sat there for some time, his hands resting upon his stick. He felt as if he had come into a haven after a long storm. They had been evil days and sleepless nights, but one could not expect to have things always go well. They had tried every possible way to injure him, lies and slander, newspaper vulgarity, riots at his farm, and influencing Einar. Well, well, the boy should never hear the slightest allusion to that matter. But there was one thing that the old man could hardly help laughing at and that was that at one time he had really thought that his own hands were not quite clean. He smiled now and shook his head. It was too funny. He remembered, too, now, that at that dinner in town Wangen had asked him to stand surety, but that they had then gone to the Grand and signed? It was incredible audacity to say such a thing. It was what his wife always said. He was often too kind-hearted, especially in good company and because he was kind-hearted, he had believed that if Wangen could go and say he had stood surety, there must be something in it. He did not know then what a scoundrel the fellow was. And now at last there would be peace in the district again, and labour conditions would be decent once more. Perhaps some people believed some of the calumnies about him. Well, let them believe them. He lived on his farm and cared for no one but it was hard on Wangen's wife. They said she had taken to her bed after the trial. When Norby got home, he found Fru Thora of Liderende in the drawing-room. She had come to say that half the district, with the authorities at their head, had subscribed to a dinner in his honour. "'Nonsense!' he said, laughing, for at first he would not believe it at all. But when she asked what day would suit him, he sighed and considered. It must be true, then. In a little while he answered, Well, I can't go to any sort of entertainment as long as someone is lying dead here. Marit Norby looked at him in surprise, but understood once that it would be useless to dispute the matter. 
when fru thora went away she was almost disappointed because the old man had not been touched by the dinner it's possible to be too proud she thought end of part three chapter seven